All right, we'll talk about the anointing tonight. We're living in an interesting time in church history. The closing out of one dispensation of grace in the last 2,000 years, and we're, we're right at the coming of the Lord. So we're living in an interesting time. We're also living in challenging times because it's not the easiest time to be living for the Lord, but also it is the most rewarding time to be living for the Lord. Although the world is seeing great darkness, the church is seeing great glory, great revival. It's a challenging time to, to want to pursue the Lord with all your heart in, in the way of a church plant, that's for sure, because there's, there's two ways you can go, or actually three. You can be very traditional and cater to those that are ultra-religious, you can be seeker-friendly and cater to those that just want their ears tickled. Or you can have revival. And that's, that's about it. And as I was going to do a church plant, I was told by people of this particular denomination that those that are planting revivals are not growing and not seeing much. You know, The seeker-friendly movements are really taking off. And he, he was trying to tell me to be seeker-friendly, but I'm not going to do that. But anyway, I want to talk about the anointing tonight. There's a big difference between the glory. We use a lot of words interchangeably. I'm hoping as I talk tonight about the anointing, this is going to be really enlightening. Because the glory of God, the Bible says all have fallen short, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. But it doesn't say all have sinned and fallen short of the anointing. And that's why, and I'm going to talk about this tonight, that's why... You'll see sometimes people that are in sin, but they're still operating in an anointing. But the anointing of the Holy Spirit, a very powerful thing, something to be very cherished in your life. And as I go through this, I believe that God's going to give you a lot of revelation and a deep, deep, profound understanding about the anointing. Jesus, the Christ. The Christ means the holy and anointed one. That's what Christ means. It was another word for Messiah. So Jesus is the Christ. He's the Holy and the Anointed One. To anoint means to rub or to smear. So to rub in or to smear. So when you take anointing oil and you apply it, you rub that in. That's, that's what the word anoint means. I think some people have had a certain mindset about the anointing. I believe that you're going to really start seeing a different realm of what the anointing actually is tonight. The prophets of the Old Testament would fill their horn with oil and then they would go pour it over someone to anoint them for the purposes of God. So picture Samuel filling his horn with oil, going to Jesse's house, and then ultimately after all the sons pass, David comes in and he takes that horn and he pours it out over David. It's, it's on David's head. It's running down his beard, if he had one. I don't know how old he was. Down his chest. He's got, it's flowing over him. And Samuel most likely put his hand on his head and would rub that oil in and then bless him and consecrate him as the king of Israel. So there's a pouring out and a rubbing in of the anointing. The anointing, as far as a definition that will help you understand what it actually is. This is just a definition that I like to use. But the anointing is God's stamp on someone to empower them to do the works of Christ in the earth. And it sets a person, a place, or a thing apart as consecrated for God's purposes. So let me read that again. It is God's stamp on someone to empower them to do the works of Christ in the earth. So you see the empowerment. And then the second part, it sets them or a person, place, or a thing. It sets them apart as holy unto the Lord to be used for his purposes. And once God has really consecrated a person or a place, it'll never really truly be the same. Now the devil will try to come in and stop up that well. He always tries to do that. But that place has been visited by the Lord and it will never truly be the same. And once that well is there, even though the devil may try to stop it up, 
you only have to go there and scratch the surface for that visitation to start coming back. Does that make sense? Because I remember even going down to the Brownsville Revival back a couple years ago we went. And the revival, for the most part, has been over. But the church is still seeing a move of the Lord in the church, and that's great. And we were there, but I'll never forget because that place had been so hallowed for years, from 95 to 2003, four time frame for sure. It had been so hallowed. It had been a place of, of incredible praise and worship, a place where God poured out His Spirit in an, an amazing way. Um, all night long, they would, they would be having revival. Hundreds of thousands of people got saved. As we went in there, we were just having a conference, and we were worshiping the Lord, but immediately, I could feel this fire shoot up from the ground into my legs. I could feel a wind of the Spirit whipping around. Why? Because that place had been hallowed. It had been set apart and anointed by the Holy Spirit. And there was something resident there. I believe even if a church that didn't believe in the move of the Holy Spirit was to come in and get real religious, and the devil would stop up that well, that even though that would happen... If a church came in and say rented it on an off night and really pressed in and scratched the surface, that something would come back up from that place. I just believe that. Because that place has been anointed. That's why sometimes you see people that get away from the Lord, they get away from things in their life. But once they've really been touched by God, they'll never truly be the same. And once God starts, it just takes taking them into a church service or something where they get around the presence of God and it's as though instantly they connect and they get a... It's like the Lord can just freshly touch them because they've already been touched before and it'll break them. It doesn't take a lot. There's already something that's residue in their life. Though they may be backslidden, though they may not be right, if you get them in the presence, something will break quickly in them because at one time the Lord had touched them and anointed them. If that makes sense tonight, I hope that it does. But God spoke in Acts 10.38 and said how God anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with strength and ability and power. He went around doing good and in particular curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil for God was with him. So God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good healing all oppressed of the devil. Luke 4.14 This was Jesus' first sermon. I want you to see this pattern because I'm going to visit this in a moment. Jesus had the Holy Spirit come upon him at his water baptism, the passing of the priestly ministry, a lot of people don't know that from John to Jesus. The Holy Spirit came upon him gently like a dove would. So Jesus received that anointing, that impartation. Then he was driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to go through testings and trials, temptation, a wilderness time, after the wilderness, then he came back in. And whenever he started his ministry, this was his first sermon. So I want you to see the pattern. The anointing came. Then the wilderness time. Then he came back in the power of the Holy Spirit as that anointing began to manifest on his life. But it's in that order. And I'll talk about that later. But look at Luke 4.14. Jesus went back full and under the power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee. And fame of him spread throughout the whole region and about the spirit. Of, this is what Jesus read out of the Bible. It's his first sermon under the anointing. And he read this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce the release of the captives to recovery sight, to recover the recovery of sight to the blind. To send forth as delivered those that were oppressed, who were downtrodden, bruised, crushed, and broken down by calamity, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and free favors of God profusely abound. But see, that's the Amplified Bible. I love the way it says it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him to preach good news, to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, deliver the captives, bring healing. But it's the anointing that destroys the devil's work. It is. It's the anointing. So as I go through this, let me just explain some things. Number one, we need fresh oil. It's dangerous to fall into the trap of being a, a person or a church that has had a revival in times past, but you don't have a fresh move of God in your life today. And don't think it can't happen to you. 
because it's happened to way too many. I don't like to hear about what God did 20, 30 years ago from somebody that is not seeing God move today. It's sad. But you hear it all the time. Churches will talk about back in the old days, God did this, that, and the other. Well, why isn't God doing it today? Because God hasn't changed. If something's changed, it's not God, it's not His Word, it's not His Spirit. It has to be that church or that person. We need to be pressing in for fresh oil in our lives. The Bible says in Psalm 92.10, You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. That's why, you know, God has so powerfully touched my life back in the 90s. And I'm thankful for that. But I'm not going to live on yesterday's oil. I refuse to do it. God's moving today. He's moving in power. There's different revivals going on. Revival in many ways has been going on here. But I want a fresh anointing for today. You know, when somebody loses that fresh anointing and it starts getting stale in their lives, you can tell, you can see it. All of a sudden now, where there used to be some kind of explosive power, now it seems to wane. And, and it begin, be, becomes more and more traditional. More and more religious. Things begin to dry up. It's stale. And let me tell you something about old oil. If you leave oil out, I'll never forget this preacher was talking about this. He had gone to a church and he went to use their anointing oil. He was going to pray for everybody. And that oil had been sitting there for so many years, open and whatever, and it just stunk. And he said he went to use it and he said it was nasty. And he told him, he said, I don't know what you're doing with this oil, but I want somebody to go to the store and get me some fresh oil right now. I'm not using this. And so they ran and did it real quick. And then he used that fresh oil. But see, that's what I'm talking about. Anointing oil on somebody's life, it really can get stale. God is wanting us to live in a perpetual, fresh anointing. Isaiah 10, 27. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. It is the anointing that destroys the yokes of bondage in people's lives. That breaks curses, that destroys bondages, that breaks addictions. It's not eloquent words. It's not good preaching. It's not good worship. It is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. That's it. There's no substitute for that. You can't talk somebody into deliverance. You have to let the power of God break that thing. And that's where a fresh anointing comes in. I thank God for how God has powerfully touched my life in the past. But just as I said earlier and I'm saying to you, make sure that you're not living on that and that's it. Every car needs an oil change. Every Christian needs an oil change. Let God drain out all that old and bring something fresh in your life. Romans 1.11 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Paul was speaking to a church that he planted. This was one of his babies. Okay? And he said, I'm yearning to be with you to see you, that I may impart to you and share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen and establish you. But listen, I did a study on that, and I've shared this many times. But he said, I'm longing to be with you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift, and this is what it can say in the Greek, that will take you to a place of strength. See, the anointing will come into your life and the anointing will take you to a place of strength. Where once you were weak, now you're being taken to a place of strength. Where that anointing comes in, that anointing will bring change, it will bring breakthrough, it will deliver you, it will set you free, it will teach you what you need to learn and it will strengthen you and take you to where you need to go. It's the power of God within you and upon you. And interesting, the NIV and other translations, see they see something in the Hebrew there about the yoke breaking off because you've grown so fat. It's like a swelling up. And I believe that's exactly what the anointing does. The anointing strengthens you to where it breaks off these yokes and destroys them. And the anointing will rub down in you and change you. Remember, to anoint means to rub in. This is what a lot of people don't understand. We can easily go down. A lot of people need to really hear this. And those that are listening to this, I I pray that you really take this to heart. Because anybody, and I mean anybody, can go down to a revival somewhere. 
God's moving powerfully, you can go down there, somebody can lay hands on you, there can be a transference of the anointing. You go back and you start praying for people and that anointing starts manifesting. That's great. But that's not a substitute for character. And that doesn't mean that you have arrived all of a sudden. All you did was get an impartation. See, the anointing that God wants to put on you will begin to rub down inside of you and change you. See, the anointing had four parts, but in the Song of Solomon, they added five more spices. So four plus five, nine. See, what the Lord is doing is He wants to rub down in you an anointing that causes the fruit of the Spirit to begin to really take root in you. That's a big part of the anointing. And of course, as I mentioned, it empowers you to do what Jesus did in the earth. And Jesus actually said you would do greater things. Let me show you the four ingredients of the anointing. The first ingredient was myrrh. Myrrh in the Bible always speaks of suffering. Myrrh was taken from a tree. The tree would be pierced. And then that sap would come out. It speaks of suffering. Let me read this to you. The word pure means to flow freely and spontaneously, clear, liberty. The word myrrh, in its first usage, Genesis 37, 25, 43, 11, means a sticky gum, and it's taken from the word to wrap up, to cover up. In Exodus, the word myrrh means a bitter flowing gum that flows and drops. The gum comes from a dwarf tree in the Terebinth family that grows in Arabia. The incision, the piercing, is made in the tree, and that fragrance begins to come out. So in other words... And I'll explain this a little further. Do you remember me saying Jesus was anointed, then he went in the wilderness? The way it works is this. The anointing gets in you, then God has to take you into a wilderness time and break you. See, the alabaster box, before the fragrance could get out of it, it had to be broken. So the Lord will anoint you and he'll begin to rub that anointing down in you, changing who you are. And then you'll be broken so that that can begin to come out of you. The olive has to be crushed, then the oil flows. The grape has to be crushed, then the wine flows. But there's got to be a breaking. The more we die to ourselves, the more of a death to self, more of a crucifixion that takes place, the more resurrection life can flow. So the Lord, when Jesus was here, he set the precedent that, yes, the anointing came upon him at his water baptism, but then he went through all that tribulation time and that wilderness time, and it was after that that the anointing began to manifest. And that's his first sermon. First thing out of his mouth when he began his ministry, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. What the anointing will do in your life will take you to a place of being broken and crushed where the oil can flow. The other three parts in the anointing oil is this sweet cinnamon. The cinnamon speaks symbolically of the fragrance of Christ. It says everywhere we go, we're supposed to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. The word sweet means fragrance like the smell of a balsam. The word cinnamon means to burn with zeal, to be hot with jealousy in a good sense as the hen jealously guards and watches over a chick. Cinnamon comes from the inner bark of an evergreen of the laurel family. But it is a fragrance. So when the anointing gets down in you and changes you, God breaks you, the fragrance of Christ begins to come. Paul talked about boasting in his weaknesses so the power of Christ would come upon him. And filling up in his body the wounds of Christ. You know, those that share, the Bible says, in God's suffering and Christ's suffering will also share in the glory. There has to be that. See, a lot of people don't like that part of the anointing. That's just as much a part of the process and the anointing as anything else. The sweet calamus speaks of healing and deliverance. So God will begin to heal you and deliver you. As the anointing comes upon you, and that's rubbed down in you, God will heal you and deliver you and set you free and change you, then as you're broken, that anointing will begin to flow through you to deliver others and bring healing to others. 
With the word calamus means to create a power to recover, to stand upright. The, the plant grows in Lebanon. It's a reed plant that grows in the mire and is easily bruised. When the spice is ground into powder, a sweet-smelling oil is produced that incites healing and kills the root of the disease. Calamus is also an emblematic of internal feelings such as caring, calming, compassion, and mercy. All these are emotions of healing. What is the anointing? The compassion and love that ministers healing. In the anointing is the power of recovery. Amen? The power that brings healing, the power that brings deliverance. And of course, the Cassia. Humility and obedience. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, through what he went through. We learn obedience. The anointing comes. Then you go into the wilderness where you face the devil. And you learn to be obedient. Christ learned. And he, there he was on that 40 days of fasting. And you, you and I both know he was starving. And the first thing Satan tried to do, turn the stone to bread. And you know as well as I do, Jesus smelt bread. He saw bread. But he refused to disobey the Father. And he said, it is written. And he began to quote the scripture. Man will not live by bread alone. Every word. What was he saying? I'm not going to live by bread. I'm going to live by what my father says. And he learned to be obedient, humble himself, and obey the father. So part of the anointing is it will break any stubborn streak, any rebellion, and help you to learn to be obedient. Because that's when the anointing really flows is through obedience. So you can't control the anointing. You can't make the anointing do what you want the anointing to do. The anointing of God flows by obeying the Holy Spirit and moving with Him, cooperating with Him. There were three basic anointings. These are not in, in my notes, but the first anointing was the leper anointing in the Old Testament, and that is symbolic of salvation. Because the leper was cleansed, sin was cleansed. The next anointing, which I will talk about, was the priestly anointing. This is where people were set apart to serve the Lord. And the third anointing was the kingly anointing. This is where kings were anointed and they had great authority like David. But see, a kingly anointing comes when you obey. I remember speaking with Steve Hill one time and I'd asked him about what God had taught him about the anointing. And he, he laughed and said, well, let me tell you a story. He said, one time I was at the revival in Brownsville and we had gone hours and hours and hours into... The late night, early morning, I was tired, I was exhausted, I was spent. I had prayed for all these people. And he said, I looked down, and there's this group of people still wanting prayer. And he said, I felt like I couldn't, I didn't have any more to give. And so he said, I just told him, join hands. And he said, I prayed and cried out to the Lord, and the power of God hit all of them, and they all went out. And he said, I slipped out and went home. And he said, later, he said, the next night... I was having to pray with everybody. I was tired. And he said, as I went to pray for people again, there was this crowd of people toward the end. And I thought, well, this worked last night. And so he said, join hands. And he said, I prayed and cried out to God. And he said, nothing happened. And he said, that's what I've learned about the anointing. And that's a good illustration. As you can't control the anointing or make the anointing do whatever you want the anointing to do. The anointing, you have to work cooperating with the Holy Spirit. And when you do, when the Lord speaks, do this, say this, speak this. When you step out and do that, that's when that kingly anointing explodes. But it's the oil that carried these spices. So see, the, the Holy Spirit is like the oil. The Holy Spirit is the one that carries all of this change and carries this healing and this deliverance. It's the Holy Spirit. That's why we've got to get to know the Holy Spirit as a person and begin to understand His ways, hear His voice, and know Him. Now the use of the oil. I'll show you a couple interesting things. Psalms 23 verse 5. The Bible says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
The table in the presence of the enemies is the communion table. We all know that. But there's something about taking communion, taking the Lord's Supper, that prepares you to receive a fresh anointing in your cup overflowing, that's Holy Spirit overflowing in you, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. There's something about it. But let me show you a couple things. The shepherd, back in the biblical times, there was a lot of different flies and gnats and different things that would really bother the sheep. And so the shepherd would take oil, pure olive oil, and would rub it around the sheep's eyes and their, their nose area, and would it, it would help keep off all those bugs off of them. It's interesting because now it's so prophetic because when people are, it's so important to be in revival and to be around the move of God, the move of the Holy Spirit. Because the enemy, like these bugs, is continually, week after week, trying to harass and oppress the people of God and trying to cause their vision to not be sharp, trying to hinder their discernment. But if you keep coming into where God is moving and you get a fresh anointing from the Holy Spirit, it helps keep that stuff off you. You see what I'm saying? Also in biblical times, the Roman soldiers, they had these shields. And on the, the, the outer part of the shield was leather. And they would always anoint that with oil to keep that leather, just like you would use maybe armor all on your dash to keep the sun from cracking that leather so they would keep it anointed. And that's also symbolic because the anointing is what helps you to get through the warfare. You know, if you go into a season of spiritual warfare, the enemy, the first thing the enemy will try to do, and I've seen him be successful with a lot of people, not a few, a lot of people, is get them out of church. Get them away from the people of God and isolate them. And then next thing you know, they're doing a lot worse. And most people fall for that. It doesn't take a lot. But what we need to do is when you go through a season of warfare, you need to be going to church no matter what the devil tries to make you feel like and get up there and get a fresh anointing. Amen. And that fresh anointing will help strengthen you and empower you through the warfare. We need it. And there's something about the shofar. I love the shofar blast. There's something about the shofar that seems to break through for the anointing to flow and the glory to come. The shofar blast. We know in the Bible, Gideon's victory as the enemy was confused. We know the walls of Jericho, which represent satanic strongholds, came down at the shofar blast. But also David, he was dancing and he had that entourage with him. They were playing musical instruments and they were blasting the shofar and the shofar was, was in front, but they were bringing in the ark, the glory. The shofar seems to break things open for the anointing to flow and the glory to come in. But we've got to protect the anointing in our lives. And keep the oil pure. Ecclesiastes 10.1 says, Dead flies make a perfumer's oil ferment and stink. There's a lot of people that have allowed themselves, yes, they pressed in and got an anointing, but they allowed themselves to become defiled and pollute that anointing. And we've got to be very careful about what's going on in our lives to keep ourselves pure and holy so that that anointing doesn't get defiled. We know that unforgiveness will defile a person. We know that pride will defile a person. We know that fear will defile a person, ungodly fear. We know that ungodly anger that's not dealt with will defile a person. We know rebellion will defile a person. Also, sexual sins will defile a person. But be careful with the gate of your eyes. What are you gazing at? You know, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom, facing it. Next thing you know, he's inside there and losing his family to, to sexual perversions. Don't tell me what you look at doesn't make a difference. Be careful what's coming in your ear gate, what you're listening to. The Bible talks about garments that are kept holy. 
and not polluted by the world. Be careful what's soiling your spiritual garments. Some people that don't know better, they'll go into revival and they're powerfully touched by God, but then they'll go out and they're, they go to a movie and they're watching people take their clothes off and have sex. And they don't realize that they're defiling themselves. They're, they're polluting their garments. And they're, they're actually allowing the, the flies in the oil. And in today's society, things have gotten so rebellious. that you, know, you try to tell people things like that because you love and care about them. But they'll say, oh, you're just being legalistic and religious. I mean, we can chalk ourselves full of tattoos and piercings. We can cuss if we want to. Uh, we can watch whatever we want to, do whatever we want to, drink whatever we want to drink. Well, friend, let me tell you, you'll lose the anointing that way, and you'll defile yourself, and you'll also possibly open yourself up to demons. I'm just telling you the truth. The Bible says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. There's got to be a pure flow in and through us without pollution or hindrance. Purity precedes power. Also, just be aware, the Bible says, don't be hasty about laying on of hands and sharing other people's sin. This is interesting. Because it's not just talking about the person that's actually praying for other people. That definitely is part of it because, you, you know, somebody that's living in sin and they go through praying for people, they can release something. But it's also talking about the minister that's going through laying hands and praying over all these people. That there's something defiling there if you're not careful. Because you think about it. All these people and all of the different things in their life, you're going through there ministering to them, but there's a pollution in that. What you need to do after you do that is you need to ask the Lord to wash you in his blood and get all that pollution off you. Some people, I've had it happen to me, and I've heard of people, friends of mine, different people that have gone through praying for a lot of people, and then they go home and they feel funky. They, they maybe have a bad dream or, or they feel just weird and they don't know what's going on, but they've been defiled by what they were around. And it's not that they sinned, but they need to get washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Also, there's a, a demon spirit in the Bible mentioned um, in the man of Gadarene's legion, the spirit of legion. And in my experience, seeing people delivered, legion seems to have a lot to do with defilement. Because the enemy wants to keep somebody perpetually defiled. And it seems like when legion's at work in somebody's life, in whatever capacity... It will continually try to keep them spiritually defiled so that they cannot go deeper in Christ and they're allowing more and more junk in their life. And the different ways you look at the man in the gatherings, what was he doing? He was cutting himself and shedding blood. Look at all the young people now that are into cutting. They're defiling themselves. So we've got to guard that anointing and keep it pure in our lives and don't let the flies get in the ointment. The anointing is what takes you into the glory. This is really what I want to spend a few minutes on, and then I'm going to go through the rest of it fairly quickly. But Exodus 29, 19. This is a really powerful story. Moses was now going to anoint Aaron and his sons to serve the Lord as priests. Now I want you to notice the blood and the oil. Exodus 29, 19. Moses was commanded by God to take the other ram. Aaron and his sons will lay their hands on its head. They were transferring their sin into the ram. Slaughter it. Take some of its blood and put it on the lobes of their right ears of Aaron and his sons. That was consecrating their thought life. Put it on the thumbs of their right hands. That was consecrating the works of their hands. Put it on the big toe of their right foot that was consecrating their daily walk. And then splash the blood against the sides of the altar. Take some of the blood from the altar and some of the anointing oil. Don't you notice this? The blood and the anointing oil both. And sprinkle them together. Sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments that he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. That's powerful. So Moses was an authority figure, like a pastor to Aaron and his sons, and he applied the blood over them and the anointing oil, consecrating them to serve God as priest. 
Because of that consecration, both the blood and the oil, they were consecrated, their garments were consecrated. Now they had the right to be able to go into the tabernacle area of the holy place and they could worship God and minister to God. But it was that consecration that allowed them in. And it was really interesting to me because in the Old Testament too, it says that when the high priest was to pass his office, he would take his successor and he would they would water baptize, what we know as water baptism, ceremonial cleansing. And then the successor had to put on those same garments that he wore and he had to go to the tabernacle area and stay there for seven days. You know what was happening? That anointing and that consecration was getting into him. That's why he had to be there soaking in that for seven days. And it's a picture and type really of, of the rapture and being with the Lord for seven years. But the consecration to be a priest and to minister to God. And here's the pattern. We learn how to minister to God. And then we, after that, we learn how to minister for God in that order. There's people that are trying to minister to God's people, but they haven't even learned how to pray and minister to the Lord yet. It comes out of your prayer life. The anointing was what authorized the high priest to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. If he tried to go into the Holy of Holies where the glory was, without being anointed, he would have died. The anointing brings you into the glory. What I'm saying is the anointing comes upon you, teaches you how to live holy, rubs down in you, changes who you are, teaches you how to minister to God in prayer, how to have a powerful prayer life, and you begin to move into a realm of God's manifest glory in your life. And some of you are in that place where God's teaching you how to pray. The anointing that's within you. And I'm very big on the anointing and the laying on of hands because, you know, some things are taught, but other things are caught. And you, you can't mix that up. I mean, you can teach some people things, but ultimately there's a lot of things that has to be imparted to them. The anointing will teach them. Jesus is returning for a bride with extra oil. Jesus is not just returning for anybody. Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. All ten were virgins. Five were foolish, five were wise, but all ten of them were virgins. Not five harlots and five virgins. Harlots would have been the world. Virgins are God's people. The foolish ones took their lamps. Lamps represent their prayer life. But they did not take any oil with them. Notice the difference here. All of them were virgins. All of them were dressed and ready. All of them had a prayer life. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. He was a long time in coming. How many knows it seems like he's been a long time in coming? And they begin to get drowsy and fall asleep. You don't have to look far to see that in the church today. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom come out to meet him. All of the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. They all were awake and they all had their lamps. They all had their lamps trimmed. The foolish ones then said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us. Instead, you go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. Now, who are those that sell oil? That's the big question. I believe it's revivals. I do. Buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went with him to the wedding banquet. Who went with him? The virgins who were ready. Not all of them. Those that were ready. The door was shut. Later the, also, the, the other virgins came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do, you do not know the day nor the hour. We don't know the day or the hour of Christ's coming. 
There's no way that you can reconcile that coming of the Lord with his second advent, the, the glorious coming. The glorious coming of the Lord when his feet touch the Mount of Olives. Jesus said it'll be like lightning. Everybody's going to see it. It's not going to be a big secret. Okay? And he's coming in all of his glory. The world will see him. It's not going to be a, a thief in the night type of thing at all. I mean, he's coming to take over. And there's no way that you can reconcile these two. This is a different coming. This is the coming for the bride. The rapture of the church. But a lot of people won't be ready. And you see right now Satan moving to, to pull people away from teaching the rapture. And you know what the problem with that is? People aren't going to be ready. And that's fine. I mean, I'm going to be in it. I'm going to be ready. Okay, I got extra oil. If they don't want to believe in it, they're, they're going to see a lot of people leave. And then they're going to regret that they didn't believe, you know. But Christ is coming. He's coming as a thief in the night. The Bible says you don't know the day and the hour. It's like a midnight cry. It's something that's, that's hidden. A thief in the night. And those that are ready are those that are going to have the extra oil in their life. The anointing is preparing a bride for Christ's coming. You remember the story with Esther and King Xerxes? She was supposed to come before him, but in Esther 2.12, before a young woman's turn came up to go to King Xerxes, she had to complete what 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the woman, six months with oil of myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. You know what the Lord is doing right now? He's pouring out his spirit on his bride, and that oil is changing us and getting us ready for his second coming. But there's a lot of people in the church world that are resisting it. They're resisting the Holy Spirit. They don't want to go to revival. They don't like it. They think it's of the devil. They think it's weird. They don't want that in their life. And they're the foolish virgins that have no extra oil. The Lord spoke to me one time. The coat of many colors is a mantle of many anointings. Ruth 3.9 Naomi, a picture and type of Israel, had taught Ruth, a picture and type of the Gentile church. But Naomi had taught Ruth, this is how you're going to win the favor of Boaz. After he's done working in the threshing floor, he's going to be tired. He's going to lay down, go to sleep, go in there quietly, lay at his feet. Customs were weird back then, amen. <laughs> anyway, he wakes up in the middle of the night, sees her there, is startled, and she said, she said, cast the corner of your garment over me. That's the prayer shawl. Listen, in those days, the Jewish people wore their clothes with tassels, and there were certain colors that represented their family. And she was saying to him, spread the corner of your garment over me. In other words, marry me, bring me into this, because you're a kinsman redeemer. But I want you to see something here. Those that are learning how to suit the Lord's feet, are the ones that are being mantled and the ones that are receiving that oil in their life that they really need. You know, the whole story of Mary and Martha, Jesus said Mary has chosen the better, the, the greater, the more important. It's, it's the one sitting at his feet. Martha was so busy. You know, if we're not careful, we can get so busy that we actually can distance ourselves from our relationship with the Lord. Prayer has got to be a priority. If you protect the anointing, the anointing will protect you. I love the scripture in Zechariah 2.5. And I myself, the Lord says, will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be a glory within. When Satan came to God and he was talking about Job, he said, does Job fear God for nothing? You've put a hedge of protection around him and his family and all that he had. And out of Satan's own mouth, he said, I can't get to Job. I can't get to his family. I can't get to his kids. I can't get to his material possessions because there's a hedge around him. Because Job every day would get up and shed blood for his family. The blood was applied. There was a hedge. I wonder what it looked like. But I wonder if it's not something similar to this. The Lord said, I will be a wall of fire around it. How many knows when God is about you as a wall of fire, the enemy can't get in? The anointing is meant to protect you. 
the anointing is meant to rub in. And then because of that anointing, the glory of God, the fire of God begins to envelop your life. And it protects you. The anointing will lead you into all truth and seal you until Christ comes. 1 John 2.27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you remain in him, the anointing teaches you. I've shared this many times, I'll share it again, but you know, when I was about 19, the Lord had touched my life, and there was a prophet, old prophet came to me and said, the anointing on your life is very mature. He said, you're not mature yet, but he said, don't worry about it, because the anointing on you will mature you. And that's why I'm trying to get through to you here. This anointing that gets in you will actually teach you what you need to know. Though you're young, the anointing will still mature and develop you. The anointing also, the Holy Spirit is the one who seals us. 2 Corinthians 1.22 Who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. See, the Holy Spirit is put within you as a token as a pledge of the Lord saying, this is what you're going to have in eternity, but I'm just dropping this token within you right now as a pledge. But the, the Holy Spirit, the anointing will seal you and keep you. I remember that there was the older ladies back years ago. Some of you might know about this or remember this, but grandmas used to take and they would get peaches and different things and they would can them or they would put them in jars and they would seal them. What they do is they'd make those preserves but they had to seal it to where it was airtight and it was locked. Otherwise, they would ruin. But they knew how to seal those things. The Holy Spirit knows just how to seal you off. Do you think Jesus would have left us here if he thought there was some big monster out in the woods that's going to take us out? Jesus knew the devil was here. Jesus knew that, that we were going to face demon spirits and principalities. Jesus knew that we were going to face an evil world. Do you think Jesus would have left us here as his people if he knew that there was something lurking out in the woods? Do you think that I would leave my wife or daughter if I knew that there was some big monster out there that's lurking around and was going to get him if I left? Jesus knows, he knows that we have everything that we need to walk in victory. Amen. He knows that the Holy Spirit will seal you and that he's given you his name. We have the authority to use Jesus' name. He's given us an armor to put on. And people will quit running around streaking spiritually and actually put it on. He's given you the blood that you can get under the blood, which puts a hedge of protection around you. He's given you the anointing that will cause a wall of fire to be around you. If people would begin to tap into all that's available to us, we can the th very things that used to step on us will begin to step on it. Amen? So what is the cost of the anointing? The anointing will cost you everything. How I many of those pastor Scott's just going to tell you the truth? I mean, a seeker-friendly person wouldn't preach this in the first place, but they would water it down and make it seem like so easy and all that. It's not easy. It's death. You've got to die so that Jesus can live through you now. There's not a shortcut. Okay, that's it. The anointing will cost you everything. A total death to yourself, a total death to your reputation, a total death to your ministry. People say, I want a ministry. If it's really from God, and it really is, then it will be a kernel of wheat that falls down to the ground and dies at least once. And that means if it's really from God, it will die. And everybody get that. If it really is from God, it'll die. If it's not from God, it probably won't die. The Bible says don't despise the days of small beginnings. If it's really from God, then it'll have small beginnings. It will have major challenges. And it, there will be a wilderness you have to go through. Jesus didn't bypass the wilderness. Are we greater than him? So when the anointing comes upon you, then you're not going to be led straight into the promised land. If it's really from God, and Jesus' ministry was from the Lord, obviously. If it really is from God then step two is wilderness time. And that can last longer and be a lot harder than you want it to be. But on the other side of that, that's where the brokenness is and the anointing really begins to flow. Let me tell you something else about the anointing. You've got to learn to not go by feelings. 
The anointing is not a feeling. And this is a big one for young people. It's not a feeling. People come down, they get powerfully touched by God. God anoints them. They have this awesome experience. It feels so wonderful. And they wake up the next day and they start dealing with some deep, dark depression because they don't feel that. Look, the anointing isn't a feeling. There's times that I may feel an awesome anointing. It's wonderful. And there's times I don't at all. I shared this story and many stories like this, but there's times I remember uh, that time I was helping Pastor Jeff and I told you guys about this. I was there. I had been had a rough day and I'd, I'd been going through a lot. Last thing I felt was the anointing. Trust me, I didn't at all. And uh, Pastor Jeff looks at me and says, please help me pray for people. It's okay. And so I go up there and I and remember obedience. I remember there was one young lady across the room. I felt led to pray for her. And I didn't feel anything. I had had a rough day. I didn't really care too much about praying for anybody. And I just walked all the way across the room to the person I was supposed to pray for. And the second I did like this, she was hit by the power and flew sideways and rolled and ran into Pastor Jeff. And then I started laughing. <laughs> and then he started laughing. Because he's sitting there all, you know, Pastor Jeff, he's all serious, you know. He's getting a word and all of a sudden somebody's hitting him. He's looking down, you know. <laughs> Y'all that know Pastor Jeff, that's, he's a funny guy. All right, so let me, t- let me close with this. Warning to those that want to play with the anointing or the holy things of God. How many knows we're the temple of the Holy Spirit? You as an individual person, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But also the Lord sees us like First Peter, where it says that we're all living stones that makes up a temple. So corporately, we're building a temple also. Does that make sense? Individually, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but also we make up a corporate temple. And so the Holy Spirit is living in us, and He's among us. And in Ezekiel's day, the Lord told Ezekiel to dig into the tabernacle, I'm sorry, the temple during his time, to dig into it. He was at this wall, he dug into it, and he saw all these creeping things on the walls. And what he actually saw inside God's house, inside of his temple, he saw things like Egyptian uh, magic and sorcery and the worship of other gods. And he saw idols in there. And these people in God's house had erected different idols and drew things on the wall and were burning incense to demon gods. And Ezekiel began to cry out against this, saying, you've defiled the temple of God. To make a long story short, Ezekiel saw the glory of God like a cloud lift up off the temple and leave. You better be careful because once you've been anointed and touched by God, the anointing and the glory will wrap around you and seal you and protect you. But if you allow yourself to get into sin and you don't repent and you remain in it, eventually that glory will leave. You've opened yourself up and because you've been anointed and you once you're anointed, you're a threat because you've been anointed. Now the devil's going to come in hard. There's people that were powerfully anointed, powerful ministries. They got into adultery. And you hear about a year later, they got prostate cancer and they're dead. And they were young. And that's not an isolated story. They played with the anointing. 1 Corinthians 3.17, here it is in black and white. If anyone defiles God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. That's a, that's a very sobering scripture, isn't it? You see, when we become Christians, we're water baptized. And it's so powerful because the same water that baptized Israel, 1 Corinthians 10, they were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. That same water closed behind them and separated them from Egypt, separated them from their past and destroyed that army chasing them. So when you become a Christian, you get water baptized. That's a very powerful thing. God is separating you from your past. He's separating you from the world. The the devils that were chasing you are dying in that river. Amen? He's sealing you off by water. Then you come in and you begin to get into God's house and take communion. The blood of the lamb applied to your life every day. You need to do that every day. Not to necessarily take communion. You can. But you need to apply the blood to your life every day. The blood needs to be applied fresh. The blood of Jesus is available every day. And we need the blood to wash us and cover us every day, okay? But you come under that blood, that blood washes you, makes you holy. 
that blood seals you off. It causes there to be a hedge of protection around you. And then on top of that, the Lord then anoints you. The Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. And now there's a wall of fire around you. God seals you off. He's anointed you. And then that person is going to go and get into unrepentant sin after that. You see what I'm saying? And the devil has seen the depth that they've gone into Christ and how they've been consecrated and, and sealed off. And they're anointed. They're a threat. And he never was able to get to them before. But now they've got unrepentant sin. And now he's able to get to them. And he's not going to come in and just, you know, barely do something. He's going to come in and try to take them out completely if he can. Those that defile God's temple, God will destroy them. And let me close with this. We're going to pray for people that want a fresh anointing tonight. And, and let me tell you, the anointing is an awesome thing. I'll tell you a quick story. I was at this church. I was very young. I actually, just real quick, my testimony. I had some friends in Bible school. And they had gone down to the Brownsville Revival in 96. And some of you know this story. And I knew these guys. I knew how goofy they were. Um, they didn't take very much very seriously. You know what I'm saying? And, and they were college roommates of mine. And I saw them come back so on fire for God and really taking the things of God serious. And they never had before. Okay? They were just some goof-offs. And, and to see the radical transformation in their life, I knew that what was ever going on in Pensacola, I knew it had to be real. And so I wanted to go. And I got some people together. We went down there. And while I was there, uh, Steve Hill gave an altar call. And I was seeing all these people run down to the altar. And I'd never seen this before. And probably many of you never have either. I'm sitting up there in the balcony. And he's making an altar call. And I'm watching hundreds of people. Not five. Okay. We're talking probably two to three hundred people at least that are running. They're not walking. They're running down. And falling down in this altar. And I'm sitting there watching this. I'm amazed. And you could feel there was so much power and fire and electricity in the atmosphere. That, I mean, it was just like you were just kind of just jittery. And I was weeping. I didn't know why I was crying. But obviously God was touching me. And all these people were down there getting saved. And then they said, if anybody wants prayer afterward, come down. So I said, well, I didn't come here all the way from Texas to not get prayer. So I'm going to go down. So I went down there. And it, there were so many people getting prayer. I just remember there was a bunch of altar workers, and I just got in front of this guy, and this guy walks up to me, just as gentle as can be, and says, Lord, more. I think all he said was more, Lord. The next thing I know, I feel myself land, and I mean, I felt like I was baptized in fire. And I got up, and that fire has never died. And then, you know, God, I, I had a hunger in me for revival. God had to take the anointing and begin to change me. He had to deliver me from things that I needed to be set free from because I was not free. Okay, Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're free by default. God had to do some inner healing in me. He had to change me because I had a lot of character flaws. He had to get all that out. And that took years. It didn't take days. It took years. Everybody hears that. So just because the anointing came did not mean that I was anywhere near where I needed to be because I spiritually I was still a baby Christian. Okay, But God had touched me. And I began to be so hungry. And I'd hear about different meetings. There'd be a Benny Hinn meeting in Dallas. I'd go. Rodney Howard Brown's in Fort Worth at Calvary Cathedral. I drove there. Every time I could get and God would touch me, these people would pray for me. I was in this meeting, a man named Floyd Lahan. A lot of you don't even know who he is, but he was a spiritual father to Perry Stone. Most of you know who Perry is. Okay. Anyway, powerful man of God. I had no idea. And I, he was in Ennis, Texas. I drove down there. Wasn't a big church. But I was surprised how powerful the anointing was in that place. And I'd, I'd brought a group with me. And after while he was preaching, actually, he would always pray for people with his Bible. He very seldom touched him. He'd just go up and put his Bible on him, you know. And so he's going through with his Bible. And, and he comes by, and I'm just sitting there. And next thing I know, the Bible's on me, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm out on the pew, okay? It was funny. And... God really touched me. I really felt the anointing. Anyway, to make a long story short, it, he was going through praying for people, and he calls me out of the congregation. You. And I'm, of course, doing that like everybody does. And, and so I go down. 
And he mentioned a mantle and he prayed for me seven times. But anyway, I had never felt such an impartation because I mean, I was touching Brownsville, I was touching all these other revivals, but he had mentioned a mantle, prayed for me. And it was a passing of a torch, passing of a mantle. And as he touched me, I fell out. And people told me later, I was actually oblivious this time. Every other time I'd really been touched by God, I was at least somewhat aware of my surroundings. But I mean to tell you, I was, I was out of it, okay? I had never in my life been hit by the power that hard. And uh, people told me that were there. They said that the people that were trying to catch me, all of them were going out. And so I was laying, I didn't even know this, but apparently I was laying on people. And they're, and they're, they're crawling out from under me or something like that. I didn't see it. And, and they said that other people would run up and pick me up. And then they would fall out. And they said, they told me this. People told me later because I really didn't know. They said there was a, a, like a pile of people. And he prayed for me seven times. I could not move for about an hour. I couldn't move. I wanted to move. And I mean, you know, I'm trying to move my arm and I, it wouldn't move. My head wouldn't move. I was pinned for an hour. And the Lord spoke to me after that. You know, we have different times. God's touched me many, many times. God's powerfully touched my life many times. But this particular time seemed to be something that really stuck out in my life. Because though God has touched me many times, this one was significant. It was different. There was a mantling. And with that, the glory was so thick. And let me tell you that the Lord spoke to me after that and the life of King David. When Samuel poured that, took that horn of oil and poured it over David, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power from that day forward. Now David still had in front of him, he still had a long time of watching sheep. Then after that, he had to face a Goliath. Then after that, he had to wander in caves for some people believe up to 16 years, which is a long time. After that, he was anointed king over Hebron, which was only part of Israel. And he reigned there for so many years. So I'm just saying, just because the anointing came on David, it was not like the next day David took his throne. There was a process he had to go through for many years before God could entrust him with the throne. So once David was anointed, the Spirit of God came upon him in power, but the Spirit of God upon him in power led him and taught him and trained him and equipped him and, and, and did a deep work in his life. But once the anointing is poured out, if I took some oil and I dumped it all out and made a big puddle and we left for a couple of years and came back, I'll tell you what would happen. That oil, most likely bugs would have gotten into it it would have had, had evaporated a lot of it. It would be stale and would have a foul smell about it. And it would be something that you wouldn't desire once you saw it. That's why it's so important that you don't have yesterday's oil, but you're moving into a fresh anointing. Does that make sense? You, we've got to have a fresh touch on our lives today. There's got to be a fresh anointing. So symbolically, I want to anoint people tonight, pray for people that want a fresh anointing and impartation. But what the anointing will do, the anointing will come into your life and God will begin a process of a wilderness time and God knows how to tailor make your wilderness where it's really a good one for you and it will prepare you. So whenever you get this fresh anointing on your life, it's, it's going to be something. And don't think that just because, you know, you pray for people now and they're touched by God, I have arrived. I am Mr. or Miss Anointing now. You know, it's not like that. That's an ego trip and it's arrogant. Let me tell you, the anointing is there to serve other people. And I'm also going to give you a warning. There's people that have been powerfully anointed and have powerful gifts. That if they was found out, out you know, about them later that they were, you know, having homosexual relations or they were in adultery or whatever. And nobody knew. People were blown away. Because while this is going on in their life, they're defiling the anointing in their life, they would still get up in a church service and have a word of knowledge and somebody be healed. And they were healed. 
They would go through there and pray for people and they'd be hit by the power of God. Why? Because the giftings and calling is without repentance. The gifting is there. Once the gifting is in your life, the gifting is there to operate. And they had an anointing and that anointing just doesn't just disappear overnight. It's still there. But the deception is because I'm still seeing miracles, signs, wonders, powerful services, then I'm fine. That's a great deception. Because if they die, they could have just prayed for somebody that was healed, leave that church service, get hit by a car, and go straight to hell. The anointing doesn't guarantee you that you're going to go to heaven. You've got to live holy. Amen? And these people that are, that are playing games with the anointing, it'll catch up with them eventually. And it comes out. But I'm going to tell you, you've got to guard it. And don't think just because you're anointed, everything's okay. It doesn't mean everything's okay. You've got to walk with the Lord. I remember hearing some guy one time, he had just split a church, totally used of the devil. And he was saying, well, I must be okay because God's blessing me and opening a door for this, that, and the other. It's like, just because a door opens for you does not mean that everything's okay. Just because you're anointed doesn't mean everything's okay. We've got to humble ourselves and let the Lord do a work in us. Amen. And show us. Is there sin? Remember the warning of Jesus. Matthew 7, 21. He said, many, not a few, will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We healed the sick. We drove out demons. You don't drive out demons unless you're right with God because they won't leave. We drove out demons in your name. We did all this stuff. And Jesus is still going to throw them into hell. What happened? Somewhere along the line, they got off. Are you seeing what I'm saying? They started good, but they got off. How could such a thing happen? Because sin is so deceitful that people will begin to move into sin and because there's not some quick lightning bolt that strikes them, they think, well, I'm okay. I'm still flowing in the gifts. I'm still anointed. I'm, you know. So I just want to make sure people know that it's a real walk with the Lord in a life of holiness. But anyway, I'm going to, here in a moment, I'm going to get my wife to help me. We're going to anoint people with oil. We're going to pray for people. If you have, if you want prayer cloths or something prayed over, we'll be happy to do that. God's powerfully, powerfully going to touch people.